There's a song, well-known Christmas song. What child is this? That's a good question. What child is this? Who is that baby in the manger? Not a really great place to put a baby. So it's clear there wasn't much of a choice. This baby was born about as low as a baby can be born. In the middle of a journey, a journey that had to be taken for the payment of a tax. What a hassle. This baby was born, uh, well, when they left, I don't think they were thought they were going to be stuck outdoors. The best shelter available was shed where they fed farm animals. How many of you have been in a shed where they feed farm animals? You know what that's like. I remember when I was a teenager, I spent some time at my uncle's house in the state of Colorado. He had horses. And uh, one of the things we got to do (laughs) while we were there was the thing called mucking out. Some of you know what that is. Mucking out a stable. Mucking out a stable is, well, cleaning out. There's all kinds of straw, you know, that they put in there for the horse's comfort. And then, of course, the horse makes its own deposits. And all of that the horse tramples on for months and months. And every now and then, every few months, this requires removal. So you have to muck out the stall with a pitchfork. You have to, like, dig it out. It is not any place where anyone go would say, well, let's put the baby in there. The only reason you would put the baby in there, any baby in there, is it's your only available shelter. That is the bottom. We tend to romanticize this scene, this scene of the baby in the manger in the stall. You know, uh, if you look up pictures, uh, you should Google this, manger scene pictures. You know, the manger in these pictures, it almost always glows like there was some kind of light bulb inside it before the invention of light bulbs. It almost always glows. And Mary and Joseph almost always look so peaceful and serene and happy. 
I don't think that's real. I'm sure they were happy to have their newborn baby because a newborn baby is a true joy. But the place, the situation, the stress, perhaps even the cold, it was a hard place. And at night, the manger did not glow, so it was dark. Now, the only reason I care to talk about how our romantic ideal of the manger is different from the real thing is in order to talk about who is this baby. Because I want to notice for you that this baby is the eternal one, God Almighty, the Son of God, the eternal Son, the second person of the triune God, God Almighty. And we read in the book of Philippians that he did not consider equality with God something to be clung to. He didn't need to grasp for it because it was his. But he did not consider that something to be clung to, but he laid aside, he emptied himself to become one of us. Who is that baby in the manger? I just want to notice that this is the biggest downward step any person has ever or will ever make. He humbled himself. And when the Scripture says he humbled himself, they're not kidding around. It's not just some romantic notion. He humbled himself for real. To be found as a tiny infant child, newborn baby where he is found that day, even among us humans, that is as low as you can imagine. But this is the eternal Son of God become a human. So we want to say, who was that? What child is this? That child who is the incarnate Son. Now to think about this question, what child is this? I want to look at the first several verses of the book of Hebrews. And if you have a Bible, you could look at the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Where there is a paragraph, the opening introduction to the book of Hebrews is Jesus' identity. Here's what it says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, we would say that today like this, but here lately, but here lately, God has spoken to us by 
his son. You just want to stop and think for a second. What's the difference between a prophet and a son? Kings send ambassadors. Governments send ambassadors to represent us in that other place. What if the king sends his son? That's a whole nother thing. So God had sent people to speak for him through the whole Old Testament age, various prophets in various ways, all kinds of crazy stuff. God does in to speak, to speak, to speak. God has spoken to us in all these ways through his prophets in all the old times. But here lately, he's spoken to us in his son. His son is the speech. His mere showing up says something. Who is this child in the manger? In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, to him I will be, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship, worship him. There's only one being that angels ought to worship. That is God. So who is this baby? Well, I've got six things to say about who this baby is. I'm going to try to proceed through them fairly quickly. Number one, this baby is the one through whom all things were made. (laughs) This baby is the one through whom all things were made, and the one through whom all things were made is appointed heir of all things. This baby was there at the beginning, as we read from the book of John. He wasn't a baby then. He became a baby later. Same person. Same person. The eternal son who, through whom all things were made. As we read, Nothing that has been made was made without him. He is the agent of God's creation. And he has been appointed heir of all things. So who gets everything in the end? 
Jesus. Because this thing in Hebrews is about Jesus, his son, the one God has spoken to us here lately. He's appointed heir of all things. Now, there's something important to notice here. The Son of God was the heir of all things since before all things. Who was appointed? Well, there's, a, there's something that happens between he is the heir and he is appointed the heir. And that is, he became a human being. He was born. So who is appointed heir of all things is Jesus, not just the eternal son, but the eternal son, a man. The incarnate son is the heir of all things. Number two, the one who carries the universe has become the radiance and exact representation of God. The one who carries the universe, that's what the, in this expression, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And the word upholds literally means to carry. From its beginning in him to its conclusion in him, the eternal son carries the story from the beginning to the end. The word universe here is, a, is an interesting word. It's not the usual word, cosmos. It's a different word. It's eons. Ages. This is about the story. How cool is it that we sang that song, this is the story. Because this is the story that God is telling that we are in and that God is at the beginning and he carries it from the beginning to its conclusion in him. And the one who does that, that carries the story, the whole thing, has become Well, you know, if we just stopped right there and started thinking about it for a while, we would blow our little minds. How can that one become? It doesn't matter what you put after that word, become. This is the eternal one. He doesn't become. He is. When Moses says, what's your name? He says, I am. And I think he said it about like that, only louder. He just is. He doesn't become, but he became. And what did he become? The radiance, the radiance, the radiance, and the exact representation of God. When did he become that? In the stable. When he became one of us. Because, you know, until he became one of us, the radiance of God and the representation of God was not really available to us. 
It's when he became one of us that he begins to be the radiance, the visible glory of God. And he's the visible glory of God in the face of a newborn baby. This is the most miraculous thing possible. And he exactly represents God. Paul calls him not made in the image of God, but just the image of God. How is God visible to us? John says it right there later on in chapter 1. No one has seen God at any time. His only begotten has made him known. How do you and I see God in the face of Jesus Christ? Paul says, we know the glory of God because the Spirit has worked in us to relieve us of the blindness that keeps us from seeing Jesus. And when the Spirit works this work in us, we see the glory of God, and I quote, in the face of Jesus Christ. If there's no baby, that can't happen. Number three, he made himself the purification of sins. He made himself purification of sins. How am I relieved of God's judgment upon me for my failure? I can't purify myself. The stain is on me. How do I get cleansed? Only in the sacrifice of Christ. And if he's not a man, he can't die. So he can't die for my sins. No baby, no purification. And then number four, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What an interesting expression this is. We could write a book just on that expression, I'm sure. I won't go on that long. I'll go on. He sat down at the right hand. Who is at the right hand of God Almighty in all eternity? The eternal Son. The eternal Son who is his agent in creation. The eternal Son who is his eternal Word. The eternal Son is always and always has been at the right hand of the majesty on high. Who sat down? The eternal Son made flesh sat down so that now, not like before, now, here lately, the uh, Human being is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. A God-made flesh is seated there. One of us has been promoted, this, you know, in Philippians where it says, because he humbled himself, because he gave his life and atonement for our sins, because he humbled himself even to the point of death, 
God has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above all names. Wait a second. Didn't he always have the name that is above all names? Who did God give the name above all names? The man Jesus is who? The baby that was born that night. That's who. And of course, he's entitled to that seat. Always has been, always will be. But what's changed is now one of us is installed at the right hand. And he sat down, which means, well, we have a way of saying this around here that requires the use of our hands. Done. So he sat down. He's done working. So he sat down. Now he is going to stand up again and come back, but that's later. Number five. The Lord says, and he says this in the Psalms where he is prophetically voicing this reality. He says, today you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father before he's born. He's the one and only, the beloved son of God in all eternity. But today he is begotten. What when does that happen? It happened that night in Bethlehem or that afternoon, whatever time it actually happened. That baby is this. The eternal Son of God begotten as man. And he's making this argument in the book of Hebrews that this Son is higher than the angels. So he says, which one of the angels did God ever say this about? God never said this about any angels. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. And if you read the book of John and the way Jesus lived his life, he lives in constant, intimate fellowship with God the Father. He says, I never say anything that I don't hear him saying. I never do anything that he doesn't give me to do or that I don't see him doing. We are absolutely in cooperation, complete, total unity of vision, of mission, of purpose between the Son made flesh. It's a man doing these things. And do you know that that way is what he has made available to you? That way of walking in fellowship with God in union with Christ by the work of the Spirit in you? It's a man doing this. 
And when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, this is number six, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. No angel had ever worshipped a man, a human being. In fact, the scripture says human beings are a little lower than the angels. And it says about Christ, he made him for a little while a little lower than the angels. And yet, and yet, he says, let all the angels worship him. All the angels have been worshiping the eternal Son of God for all eternity. Well, ever since they were made anyway. The angels are worshiping him already. And now they're worshiping one of us. Him, the child, that baby in the manger. Who is that? What child is this? This is the most significant child ever born. This is the meaning of Christmas. Some people think we make too much out of Christmas. We make too, too big a deal out of Christmas. And I guess in some respects we do. You know, we're spending money we don't have and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. I don't believe you can make too big a deal out of Christmas. Don't be stupid. But you can't make a big deal out of Christmas. That's too much. But... Maybe spending money isn't the only way you can make a big deal out of Christmas. Or having ridiculous debauchery kind of parties. Eh. But this is the meaning of Christmas. It is the biggest deal ever. It is the big deal. God has spoken to us in his Son. And he only did that through this birth when the eternal Son of God became human. And so the eternal God has become one of us in order to make God visible to us. And so to bring us into fellowship with God, a fellowship which, by the way, we had turned from to bring us face to face with God. You know that song, Mary, did you know? It has that line in it. Did you know? Did you know when you were looking at that baby, you were actually looking into the face of God? Now that baby looked like a baby. We've got some babies around here. That baby looked pretty much like those babies. His face didn't glow. Look, there's a baby right here. Sleeping. I should stop yelling so I don't wake him up. His face doesn't glow. Sometimes he screams for food. Or worse. But that baby is the face of God. And that baby grows to a man who so thoroughly expresses God's nature and character that we call it a perfect, 
perfect. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen him. And so we have fellowship with God in the face of Christ so that we might join Christ in bearing God's image. Because it is in my fellowship with God, in the spiritual activation of my soul, in fellowship with God, in union with Christ, by the work of the Spirit, that I bear His image. That is the reality that is now available to us in Christ. This is Christmas. The eternal God has become one of us. And in doing that, He makes God visible to us. And He brings us into fellowship with God by His own sacrifice. And He, makes, he gives us face-to-face relationship to God so that we join Him in bearing God's image. We are transformed by this reality operating in us. In Christmas, the purpose of the creation of humanity is fulfilled. God said, let us make man in our image. When did he actually pull that off? Well, he did it with Adam and Eve, and then they broke it. So when did he really do it? When he was born. In Christmas, the purpose of creation, the creation is fulfilled. If there's no baby in the manger... God's reason for making us failed. I'm telling you, it's the most important thing ever. God's purpose in creating us is is to create persons who walk in fellowship with him by his spirit. It's to create persons who radiate the glory of God representing him in the world. It's to create persons who will inherit all things. He says this, go out into the world and conquer it and rule it. How do we inherit all things? In our union with Christ, because Christ is the one, and we are in him. And so God's purpose in his creation of humanity is fulfilled because of Christmas. In Christmas, open fellowship between God and humanity is made possible. If there's no baby, no little child in the manger in that filthy stall, then there's no spiritual life for the rest of us. In him was life, as we read. And so if there's no baby, we're we're still dead. In the suffering of God, God shares in our suffering. God bears our iniquities. God puts on 
the Son, the Lord Jesus, the man Jesus, the eternal Son made flesh, put my sin and yours upon him. And when he died, I died in him. And so Christ knows everything about human suffering. Not because he's almighty God and he's omniscient, so he knows everything, but because he himself personally experienced it as one of us. So we have fellowship with God because God has joined in our suffering all the way. All the way. He left no level of suffering out. Also, open fellowship is made possible because in it's made possible in our sanctification, in God putting his claim on us so that we, he descended and we are elevated in this fellowship, we, in the sanctification and glorification of humanity. Human creatures, human creatures, things made, things made, Enjoy the eternal fellowship of the Trinity. We have been brought into the circle of the eternal fellowship of the Trinity in Christ. We can enjoy that now, and there's a day coming when we will enjoy it like we can't even imagine now. In the incarnation, we have this thing we call the hypostatic union. (laughs) Hypostatic union, that's a $4 word, which means the word made flesh and dwelling among us. The dwelling of two natures in a single person. He is 100% God. He is all there is. There's nothing about being God that Jesus does not possess. Also, there's nothing about being human that he doesn't possess except sin, which is not really a thing about being human. It's a thing humans did. So he is perfectly God and perfectly man, and he doesn't become some sort of of weird hybrid God-man thing. He's all there is about God, and he's all there is about humanity, all in one person, all at the same time. And because of that, fellowship with God between us and God is established in him. Scripture says he himself is our peace. (laughs) He doesn't just make our peace, he is our peace. The third thing about Christmas is in Christmas we are saved. If there's no baby, there's no cross and there's no atonement for sin. Only a man can make himself purification for sins. Oh, and only a sinless man, which there weren't any available until he came, until God spoke to us lately in his Son. Only a man can satisfy God's judgment for man's sins. In Adam all sinned, Romans says, 
in Christ all are made righteous. Only Jesus can be the propitiation, as John calls it, the satisfaction of justice for our sake. I could satisfy justice for my own sake by, well, existing in hell for all eternity. And since it takes for all eternity, I guess I never really finish the job of satisfying justice. Jesus said, it is finished. He satisfies. Only a man can lead many sons to glory, as we read later in the book of Hebrews. It was fitting for him to be one of us in order to lead many sons to glory, bringing us bringing us to stand in God's grace. So the whole rest of the book of Hebrews is about come on in, come on in, come on in, draw near, draw near, draw near. Christ has kicked down the door to the holiest of holy places in heaven and he has proceeded ahead of us and invites us to come along to stand before the living God for grace and mercy whenever necessary. I can waltz into the living room of God like it was mine because in Christ it is mine. And if the Son of God is not the Son of Man, what sacrifice can He make? If he's not raised from the dead, a living, human, embodied, flesh and blood man raised from the dead, I'm still lost. If he does not ascend to the right hand where he, Scripture says, ever lives to make intercession for us so that every time I do something that would be cause for God's judgment upon me, Jesus says, I have received that judgment already. And so there is no need for any more judgment. And so Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is all wrapped up in the manger. No baby. We are wasting our time here. And what we're talking about is an actual, historical, reality, fact. The fact is, the eternal Son of God was born. And because the eternal Son of God was born, so am I in him. This is the most fantastic thing ever. This is what this whole holiday is all about. This is why you can't have too much celebrating. You could have the wrong kind or you could spend too much money, blah, blah, blah. But this is a big deal. 
So it is perfectly good that we make a big deal out of it. And it is really good that the world around us even recognizes this is a big deal. And we know why. Hmm. I guess we might tell them. We might tell them why. Why are you making such a big deal out of Christmas? Here's why. God has spoken to us in his son. That's why. Father, please, Lord, keep us from ever losing track of these things, from forgetting, from getting distracted, from focusing our attention on the stuff that we build up around these things. Lord, may our celebration of this reality of the incarnation of our Savior, may it be true and real. It is the most important thing you've ever done for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.